And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And we are here to talk today, uh, as I'm going to set aside all of the preliminary announcements uh, for this broadcast, because I want to jump straight into our guest and his uh, subject. We're going to be talking today with a gentleman who uh, is the founder and director of the Institute for Sacred activism, uh, as well as uh, he is the founder thereof of the Institute of for Sacred Activism, which at uh, international an international organization focused on inviting concerned people such as yours truly and hopefully you folks to take up the challenge of our contemporary global crisis by becoming inspired and uh, effective and practical agents of institutional and systematic change in order to create peace and sustainability. His name is Andrew Harvey, and he is also the author of his latest work, Radical Regeneration, Birthing the New Human in the Age of Extinction. And um, the, that's not the title. That was the title is Radical Regeneration, Sacred Activism and the Renewal of the World. I beg your pardon, uh, then they've got don't to change worry, your website worry. here. But be that as it may, <laughs> radical regeneration. Thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us on the program. I'm absolutely thrilled and honored. I can't wait. Well, I will tell you that that when I started reading about sacred activism, uh, uh, you know, you use a word that uh, is uh, definitely used in... Uh, uh, in many circles, the word is transformation. Sacred activism is is a transforming force of compassion in action that is born of a fusion of deep spiritual knowledge, courage, love, and passion with wise radical action in the world. Um, I have been an observer, but also a participant, obviously, in our society. Uh, but I'm an, an observer of some of the things that I grew up with, and I'm 62. I was born in 1960. And I've seen and heard things that, both on the surface and deep down, make absolutely no sense to me whatsoever as to why we continue to do some of these things. Yes. Talk to us about your role in all of this as a sacred activist, because I'm sure part of the reason you are is because maybe you've seen the same things that I have and you sit there and go, what the heck are we doing? Why are we doing this? We, we could be doing something that's so much more beneficial for all rather than uh, exclusionary, uh, as well as destructive to our civilizations and our society. I could not agree with you more, and I'm delighted that you feel it so deeply. Look, Richard, we are in a terrifying global world crisis. The scientists call it a polycrisis because there are multiple crises, all of which are interlinked, all of which are now erupting all over our world and affecting the entire human race. We're in climate freefall. The United Nations has given us eight years to change radically our behavior or commit ourselves to what nobody can predict. A million species are on the verge of extinction. There's a rise of radical authoritarianism all over the world and especially, unfortunately, in America, there is a vast spiritual crisis afflicting humanity, a crisis of meaninglessness, of addiction, of suicide, of despair. That's the bad news. But if you step back and dive into the mystical traditions, which is what I've done with my life, you realize that they understand something called the dark night. And this polycrisis is a global dark night, which is a vast evolutionary crisis. And I believe that its secret purpose is to birth a new embodied divine human race. 
In the mystical traditions, the dark night is known as a tremendous ordeal which deconstructs the old self that has been addicted to selfishness, narcissism, hubris, pride, total self-absorption. And I think that describes a great deal of what's happening all over the planet. But the crisis itself, terrifying though it is, is designed perfectly by the divine to help us get over everything that is now threatening the entire human race with extinction and much sooner than many people would dare to believe. When you see this crisis as a global dark night that could be the birth canal of a new humanity, you need to ask yourself a question, the question that has obsessed me. I've written 40 books. I've been initiated into the major mystical traditions of the planet. And the question that I asked myself when I discovered this and understood this is, what is this birthing force that could help us get to the next level of our evolutionary possibility and avoid extinction and use this crisis as a way not of becoming paralyzed or going deeper into denial, but in the way that we can truly be transformed by it. And it became very clear to me that we do have a force on the earth that can help us birth a new world and a new humanity. And that force is sacred activism. And I'd like to give two definitions of sacred activism. You gave one which was beautiful about how sacred activism is the marriage of deep spiritual knowledge, stamina, passion, power, compassion, with wise, guided, urgent action. That's a terrific start. But there's a deeper definition, and I'd like to describe the vision from which it came. I have to step back a bit and describe the vision that began sacred activism. And very simply, what happened was, is that in 1997, I went to visit my father in the place where I'd been born in India, and he was dying. And we had an amazing week together. And on the Sunday, I went to church, and the statue of the resurrected Christ became alive. And I experienced an overwhelming ecstatic irrigation by divine love at its most potent. And I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed because I could see him. He was there at the end of the church. And I staggered out of the church and came to see outside the church a man who had no arms and no legs, a young man, very beautiful, very desolate, very alone. And I went to enfold him in my arms and give him all the money that I had on me and ask the bystanders to take him to a place where he would be looked after. And as I did so, I heard a voice, and it's the only time in my life that I've heard a voice. And the voice, which I believe was the voice of the Christ, said, you have been playing with your mystical experiences. You have been playing with light. Don't you understand that the world is now in extreme danger? And when you look into the eyes of this man, in, in those eyes, you will see billions of people living like dogs. You'll see the forests burning. You'll see the seas becoming polluted. You'll see the animals disappearing. You'll see that the whole human race is in extreme danger. And then the voice said, when you cross over, you won't be asked how many books you wrote or whether you won the Nobel Prize or how many visions you had, like the one you've just had. You'll be asked only one thing. And what you'll be asked is, what did you do while the world was burning? What did you do while the world was burning? As you can imagine, that was an overwhelming experience to see the resurrected Christ and then to have that very stern wake-up call. And over the next months, I went into prayer and meditation and I begged the beloved, whom I 
worship as the Christ, but you can worship the beloved in whatever way you want. The beloved will appear to you. And I asked the beloved again and again, give me an exact picture of this birthing force that I understood already was love in action. And I had a vision, which was an amazing explosion, really. And I saw two rivers of fire streaking across a desert plain and meeting at the horizon and bursting into what looked like an atomic explosion, but it wasn't a destructive explosion. It was an explosion of multicolored lights. And I heard, this is the birthing force. And I also heard in my heart, I heard, when you align and fuse the two noblest passions in the human soul, the passion of the mystic for reality and the passion of the activist for justice, when you bring those two fires together, a third fire is created. And with this fire installed in your heart, mind, soul, and body, you can build a new world out of the ashes of the old. And that began a 20-year journey into sacred activism. That was the foundation of my book, The Hope, which created the global movement of sacred activism. And that message is more relevant now than it has ever been. And thank God it is getting out all over the world because millions of people are awakening to the tragic desolation of possibility that this crisis is opening to us. And millions of people are crying out to actually turn up in a responsible, focused way that could accomplish subtle miracles in the middle of this madness. So sacred activism is the fusion at the deepest level of those two noblest passions and the birth in you of that third fire that enables you to be both ultimately connected to the truth of reality and ultimately brave and wise in the way you put that truth into action with other like-minded, ragged, wild, holy souls like yourself. We're talking with uh, Andrew Harvey, uh, Radical Regeneration, Sacred Activism and the Renewal of the World is the title of the book. It is uh, andrewharvey.net, the website, and you're listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And um, Andrew, uh, you, the, the terminology that you are using, I was introduced to 15 years ago by the late Barbara Marks Hubbard in an yes. interview that I did with her in, uh, er, in late um, 2007, shortly after we started this program, um, she, she actually talked about this process as a birthing. Uh, and yes. that basically, you know, uh, as a woman goes through the process, there's a lot of pain, yes. there's a lot of anguish, and eventually the baby pops out, and oh, how beautiful, yes. and it's all calm, yes. and, and so forth. And that is kind of what we're experiencing. However, uh, <clears throat> from the time she told me th about that particular analogy to the present day, this has been one of the longest gestation and birthing processes I have ever been aware of, my friend. Fifteen years? <laughs> when are we gonna, when are we going to finish giving birth? Is is my question well, to that you? That depends on us. That yeah, it does. It does us. absolutely. Yeah. Um, I love what you're saying, and Barbara was a very great friend of mine, and we'd already talked a great deal about sacred activism as the birthing force when you had that given to you. Look, we're in the contractions of a terrifying and immense birth, because what the divine is trying to birth, and Barbara knew this, the great evolutionary mystics of humanity have known this, is another level of our evolutionary destiny. Quite clearly, at this moment, our consciousness is totally inadequate to deal 
with the vast problems that its greed, its ignorance, its denial, its addiction have created. Well, Einstein was well, very clear on that, though. He said right. that uh, the consciousness that created the challenges that we are being fa- that we are faced with ca- right. cannot be used to solve it or to address it. It has to be a higher exactly. consciousness. But how the divine works, as I've understood it, is this. It has allowed humanity to create an impossibly difficult crisis out of its ignorance, Mm -hmm. not to punish humanity, Mm -hmm. but to compel a massive mutation, a transformation at the deepest level, which if we can align with the laws of it, Mm-hmm. will birth in us a completely different kind of human being, one grounded in divine consciousness and committed to works of justice and compassion on every level together to birth a new world. Yeah. You know, there this was... birth is not certain, right? but it is possible. That is, oh no, that is true. There is nothing that is certain. And I wish that we would get with the program and understand that <clears throat> there is no certainty in the, in life. And, uh, no. you know, they, I, I, I get so frustrated, for example, with Except economists. Death and taxes. Don't forget death and taxes. They are Death so. and taxes. Well, I'm speaking of the economy. And, <laughs> and, 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 and as uh, Will Rogers said, uh, you can lay economists end to end and they'll all point in different directions. So my, my question <laughs> to the economists out there, the multitude thereof, what numbers would make you happy? Because I would really like for you folks to find happiness. That's what we're all searching for in one at, at one level. Um, you know, you because when the numbers are high, a, they're not in a happy. Capitalist culture. Uh, yeah, you're not going to find happiness in in a culture that is grounded in greed and yeah. in despoliation of the environment and the denial of climate change. Mm-hmm. It's impossible because the very structures that we placed our hopes for security in are themselves radically insecure because they're based on illusion. Yeah. By the way, I heard something very interesting in reference to what you just referred to. You used the word greed. And we were talking about this whole aspect of capitalism and free enterprise and the economy. And he said, this one guest said to me uh, that actually it isn't uh, greed that's the problem. It's envy that generates the greed. It's envy, which is one of the seven... What is it? One of the seven deadly sins, I guess it is. It's one. Of, it's the worst of the seven deadly yeah. <laughs> sins because it's a cold, hidden sin. It's like I, I love, love the picture that's behind you. That is a beautiful. I I I, I can't you. make out the whole of it, but I love the colors, the flowing of the gold, and so forth. It's a golden but exploding flower. That's I don't what envy I that you have it. I don't envy that you have it. I think it's beautiful. I'm glad you have it. And, and that you are sharing it with us here on the uh, the YouTube uh, channel, those who are, are watching the YouTube interview. But I we're... love what you're saying because yeah. if you look at the culture we're in, mm-hmm. there are so many forces driving us into envy for their own reward. Yeah. You want bigger house while you sweat for it and then you buy the bigger house and somebody becomes rich by selling you the bigger house. You want to look like Rihanna, you have to go through multiple cosmetic surgeries and then you look like Rihanna and the cosmetic surgeon will get rich. You want to be famous because fame seems to win people adulation and celebrity, then etc. You can see where I'm going. Envy has become the secret driving force of an entire economic system. And of course, one of its matters investigations is desperate greed and we can see how that works on every level of our world absolutely andrew harvey is my guest andrewharvey.net is the website the book radical regeneration oh man we need some radical regeneration sacred activism and the renewal of the world as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan with uh, our very special guest here, sacred activist uh, Andrew Harvey. And, um, you know, uh, I have to wonder how, how much credence you put into uh, many of the, 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 the mystical traditions and so forth. And what I'm speaking of here has to do with Vedic astrology. You were born yeah. in India. In 1952, yes. okay, I was born eight years later in Phoenix, Arizona. 
Uh, well, my younger we were, brother, I can boss you around. That's the, hey, there that's you go. The okay, I'm I'm yes. I'm open to that. I'm open to that. As a matter of fact, uh, in, a con- yeah, in a conversation I had with a gentleman, he challenged me on one of the points that I had raised, and I pondered it for a moment, and I said, "Well, there goes another one of my straw huts up in flame, and that I would be willing to burn them all because uh, I'm trying to lo- learn and grow and understand, uh, and again raise that consciousness." to be a part of, shall we say, the movement that you're even talking about but that that wants birth. to have a better world for mm-hmm. everyone. Some see, some might say, oh, Richard, that's a panacea. You're talking a utopia. No, no I'm it's not. Available. Of uh, course it's not. No. no. Yeah. I think the good news, though, Richard, is that in the middle of this horrific disaster, which is caused by our envy, our greed, our madness, our addiction to all kinds of illusions, mm-hmm. great people have already started creating the lineaments of this new world. Yeah. Think of those people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King and the Dalai Lama and Jane Goodall and amazing people who've dedicated their lives to being sacred activists and showing how powerful this can be even in extreme situations. Yeah. Think of the major breakthroughs that are being made just now into potentially free sources of energy. In the last month, they've made an amazing breakthrough into fusion. Think of the uprise of animal rights. People all over the world seeing that a million species are in terrible danger, rising up to invent wholly new, not just to protect animals, but to invent new legal systems to give animal rights. Martha Nussbaum has just written this amazing book, which is getting tremendous traction, Justice for Animals, and she's one of the great philosophers on the planet. Think of the great advances we've made in racial justice, not enough, but still Great. Think of what has happened in our attitude to homosexuals and LGBTQ community. There's a backlash, but there are 70% of people really do recognize the rights of every kind of human being for happiness. So if you develop the eyes for this birth, Mm -hmm. you'll see it. It's already here. You know, it just a, needs us to get behind it exactly. in sacred activism exactly. and help it get born. Because you see, the crisis is designed to make us take responsibility in a way that we have never done before. Oh, my God. Responsibility? Can. Are you kidding me? See, the 2016 presidential campaign, I have dubbed the campaign of victimhood. It's their fault that we are the way that we are. And the reality is, no, it's not. We did this to ourselves if, if we choose to acknowledge that there are problems, which there are challenges that we need to face. Um, matter of fact, in the 80s, when I was in my 20s, I was going through some personal growth programs. I went through LifeSpring, which was an offshoot of Est. Yes. I went through several other, uh, several others with my first wife in the 90s. Uh, but the 80s were the uh, the decade primarily of victimhood and blaming mom and dad for and the uh, inner child and the, the inner exactly. Child, yeah. And then in yeah. the 90s, we began to talk about uh, not just codependency, but interdependency. Uh, right. And then in the early 2000s, you know, I thought, OK, well, we're moving forward and so forth. And then all of a sudden in 2015, June, I'm going no, wait a minute, we did this in the 80s. We don't need to do this again. And yet yes, we've been doing it. The problem, I think the problem was is that we were very much too optimistic. We weren't aware of the great shadow of our civilization. Yeah. Which and we have to acknowledge, of, don't we? We have to acknowledge that, don't we? Acknowledge it. We have to accept that it could destroy us soon unless we transmute it and use it to become very much humbler, very much more concerned about the fate of everything and very much more active from a place of divine wisdom and divine love. Hmm. Uh, This is this is a time in which we live. I have heard this said. uh, Now, I consider myself to be a metaphysician. And um, <clears throat> I was born and raised Catholic. I have uh, studied uh, Hinduism and Judaism. I'm working Great. on studying Islam, Buddhism, Zen. 
um, on, on, on many of the others. There's even one that's uh, fairly new uh, that is uh, uh, the Happy Science. I was a Baha'i for a year and a half in the oh, 90s. the Baha'is are wonderful. Oh, my God. They, God, they have so much yeah. so right, don't yeah. they? I needed that organization, mm. that group of people so badly at that time in my life, uh, and uh, they were there. And uh, one of the things that I have found as a metaphysician who, and I love the phrase that uh, the Baha'is have, if you accept one of the messengers of God, you accept them all. If you reject exactly. one, you reject them all. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so uh, here I am uh, working towards understanding many of the aspects of this life, including death. Uh, my eldest sister passed away uh, March of last year. But I didn't have that catastrophic emotional breakdown other than at the memorial, which was a yes. beautiful balance of laughter and tears. It was yes. wonderful. Uh, and I heard her voice shortly after her passing just saying, hey, Richard, it's OK. Everything's good. So I'm trying to understand these different aspects. My metaphysical primer, I don't know about you, but mine is uh, Autobiography of a Yogi, which I have on my phone. Oh, that changed my life. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, and I've read you it have to probably decide hundreds. when you read that book whether it's absolute rubbish or telling a truth that you never before understood. Yeah, it's such an amazing book. He just lays down the gauntlet immediately. People start flying in and out of windows. Things dissolve. Yeah. Crazy stuff happen, and you either shove it, throw it out of the window, or realize that you're coming into a world that you've never understood before. I yeah. love Yogananda. Yeah. But that leads me to a question I had started to ask you just a few moments ago about where you were born. Do you think that where you, and again, you probably recognize this also, where you chose to be born has had a significant influence on your being a sacred activist? Oh, completely. I was born of a British mother and a half Indian father. So, and I was born in South India. So I was born as an amalgam of the East and the West. And my entire vocation has been dedicated to that fusion of the East's understanding of divine identity and the West's understanding of dynamic progress in history. So I have gone back to India all my life to be refueled by that glorious tradition. But it's also in India that I had the vision of the Christ that birthed sacred activism. It's in India that I met the appalling suffering and poverty that our civilization imposes on millions of people because you just have to walk down the street in Delhi or Bombay or any of the Indian cities to see what's going on. And it's in India that I have again and again gone back to experience this fusion at deeper and deeper levels. So India is absolutely at the core of everything that I try to do. I think one of the most beautiful things that I saw, and granted I saw this in the, uh, in the movie Gandhi uh, in 1983, prior to uh, my, my first wife and I marrying, and one of the most profound scenes was when he was on his hunger strike it was night. The Hindus and the Muslims were fighting. And these two men, two fathers, came to him and complained I... about how the other had killed their children, their son. And he gave them the instructions on how to move past that. How to... I know that there is a way through, he says, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. And I don't know whether they did what he asked them to do. The Muslim father says, you go find I, a... Uh, um, Hindu boy to look up and teach him the ways of the Hindu and the Hindu father was to find uh, a Hindu uh, a Muslim son a boy and raise him in the ways of Muhammad um, like I said I don't know whether they did that or not but it does seem that that is a message uh, that speaks to in a manner of speaking something that we need to do and that is walk in someone else's shoes in to to oh, listen yes. to their story whether we mm -hmm. agree with it or not for example if you've had any supernatural experiences 
you've had any of these. Now, my mother asked me if I'd ever had any. And I said, well, if I did, I didn't recognize them as such because for me, uh, kind of like with, you know, for example, Jesus, all of the miracles he performed wasn't a big deal. It was normal for him, like breathing. All right. So if yes. I experienced a supernatural experience, it was normal for me. What about you? Have you oh. had uh, uh, some of these and did you recognize them as such? Well, I've already shared one momentous one with you, which birthed sacred activism. And part of my journey has been to open to the divine in very extreme ways. And I've had multiple very extreme visionary experiences. But I don't want to say that to appear to be special, because what I've come to understand is that I was an arrogant son of a bitch and I needed to be hit on the head again and again by the reality so that instead of believing in myself, I would start believing in something much greater than myself. I know many, many wonderful true mystics who have never had the kind of glorious wild experiences that I've had. And I believe it's because they don't need them. They're already in the place of humility and service that they need to be. The divine is very economical about how it works. I needed them because I needed to be woken up from my dream of specialness and brilliance and being an Oxford professor of 21 and all that BS, I needed to be shown that there was something far greater here than anything I could even imagine and to dedicate all of my life to trying to make it clear to myself and help others. And yet at the same time, uh, it is, I think, and and I would love your your perspective on this uh, that you've sort of shared already, that we do need to uh, recognize our our specialness from the standpoint of the yes. role we have chosen to play in this lifetime. Yes. It's not, it's not, it's, it is possible to recognize that and yet still stay humble. The universe has done that to me many times too, where yes, when I get too big for my britches. Yes. Yeah. But the role that you think you have changes depending on the consciousness mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. grows. So when I was in my 20s, I thought my role was going to be be a poet. When these experiences started to happen, I thought my role was going to be a messenger. When that got absolutely rubbled in the long, dark night, I realized my role is to be a servant and a midwife to the great birth and to offer whatever I have learned and all the clarities that have come from it, as we've done in this book, Radical Regeneration, which is really a manual, an immense manual for the birth. But it comes from finally understanding that I wasn't the messenger. I was a servant and a midwife amongst other servants and midwives. And that is a much humbler role and a much more truthful one. Mm -hmm. So what role you have, you don't know until you begin to suspect who you really are. Yeah. And that's something that we'll talk about as we continue talking with Andrew Harvey. AndrewHarvey.net is the website. Radical regeneration, sacred activism, and the renewal of the world as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, along with Andrew uh, Andrew Harvey. And th- this this whole conversation is so fascinating to me. Uh, there are th- these kinds of conversations conversations that I have with rabbis, because I know the education they require, and yes. conversations about death and dying. Um, yes. It's hard for me to say that death and dying is a subject that's near and dear to my heart, uh, like the other two. However, it is because what happens to me, and it's happened to me when my sister passed last year, one of the thoughts that went through my mind was, I wonder what she's doing now. Now, she is the only reference point I have. I wonder what she's experiencing. Well, believe it or not, uh, Andrew, I don't know if you're familiar with Life Between Lives hypnotherapy, but I had one of those experiences where I went back to my previous life prior to this one. I would venture, based upon what I saw, I'm pretty much dressed the way that I was then because I was on 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 the plane's a pioneer, and I was, um, uh, I had a farm, I had some, a uh, few cattle, maybe a cow and this and that and the other, and lost it all. I had a cabin up in the mountains, I went up there, to. it was snowing, and uh, I came out of the cabin one day, sat down in the chair, and uh, at this point I, I break into a twang, 
And I sat back in the chair, tilted my hat back, and I'm going, you know, it's been a good life. It has been a good life. How lovely. And then I left. I just yeah. left. Yeah. And then I went Magic into that space between that life and this one. And it was yeah. extraordinary. And so when my sister passed, I didn't have all of the tears that maybe my sisters, my three other sisters and brother and my parents. I mean, my father, when I was there for her memorial, he said uh, to no response from anyone, including me. And I'm rarely left speechless. He said the those infamous words of parents. Parents aren't supposed to bury their children. Right. You know, and there's nothing I could say to that. But my perspective is that. Now she, instead of being in a single body, living in Scottsdale, Arizona, now she's everywhere. Yes. So yes. These 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 aspects we talk about. I mean, we we referred to envy as as you know one of the sacred well, in don't terms know, of Richard, if you the whole know business. Something, but but what about fear? What about fear? Is, well, let's let, let's stay on death, and then we'll get sure. to fear. Sure. <laughs> I don't know if you know, but one of the most wonderful things I've managed to do in my life is that I spent two years at the bequest of the Dalai Lama working with a great Tibetan master to so Sogya Rinpoche to bring forth a book, the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. I co-wrote that book and went through the process with him and our fellow writer. And that was a momentous process because in through it, I understood that there were people on the earth who died many, many times, who knew the landscape of death, like, you know, the landscape of Central Park. Mm -hmm. And that book, which became an international bestseller and introduced the wisdom on death of the Tibetan tradition to the world, that book, writing that book with Sogyal changed everything for me and prepared me for this time because I think you're bringing up death and dying because we're in a time of death and dying. So, and there's going to be a great deal of death on the world. There is already, but as the process gets darker and wilder, as it will, mm -hmm. and the more you understand what you're helping people understand that death is it's not the end, it's mm -hmm. passage which we can prepare for mm -hmm. yeah. and which we can help people through. The more calm you'll be and the more devoted you'll stay in continuing to be a sacred activist. So as part of my institute, I always try and help people get to that wisdom because knowing that there's a part of you that cannot die gives you the guts to give your gifts with a lot of chutzpah and passion. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I talk about our immortality, not the physical yes. body, but no. that, that which inhabits it. Um, yes. By the way... Uh, let me have you have you react to this comment made by one of my guests not uh, several years ago. Um, in terms of these times in which we live, I try not to keep re-quoting uh, re re the Chinese proverb about uh, may you live in interesting times. But they said, this person said that the, the, the souls on the other side, the angels, if you will, the other spirits, etc., etc., they look upon us who are in physical form as heroes because we have chosen to be here at this tumultuous yes. time. I think that's absolutely right. And I think there's something even more wonderful, if possible. Mm -hmm. And that is that all of the angels and all of the great teachers and shamans that have preceded us are focused entirely on flooding us with grace at this moment mm. to help us go through the birth canal of this terrifying evolutionary ordeal. Yeah. And that to me is not poetry because as you may know, I've spent a great deal of my life plunged into translating Rumi, plunged into translating Kabir, plunged into translating Hadavik of Antwerp. I've tried to bring back the great universal mystics of the past to help them help us. And in the course of that, they have become astoundingly alive to me. I know Rumi isn't dead. I know Kabir isn't dead. I know Hadavig isn't dead because I've experienced their living presence. And I know that 
everyone who turns to the beloved now and turns in faith will experience the same thing. We have so much help, so yeah. much grace from every aspect of the conscious universe streaming towards us to help us get over ourselves and devote ourselves humbly to love in action together to transform the world and knowing that gives you hope and courage on very dark days sacred activist andrew harvey is my guest his latest work radical regeneration sacred activism and the renewal of the world and you are listening to tell me your story I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, of course, you can listen to as well as watch Tell Me Your Story, because we have podcasts, they're all over the place, you can go to Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, etc., but you can also go to YouTube, to the YouTube channel, Richard Dugan, Tell Me Your Story, and you can watch these interviews, and it is so fascinating to me, uh, I, uh, I do watch what they call my analytics. I look at the numbers of people who have listened, the numbers of interviews and so on and so forth, how much time they spend listening. But they are not the important factor to me. The important factor is that those numbers represent people who are listening and watching and taking in this information. And there's an interesting, I like to call it a, an interesting paradox that if somebody is listening to this interview and we are right now into the 41st, 42nd minute and they've listened up to this point, the paradox is you can't unhear what you've already heard. And someday, maybe not today and maybe not yes. tomorrow, but someday you're going to have to deal with what Andrew has been talking about. It's going to maybe smack you right in the face. It may be subtle. It may sneak up on you. But the reality is that that's why, uh, and I'd like for you to talk about this, that's why it's so important for us to be so discerning about the things that we take in through oh, our senses yes. uh, and where we go, what we listen to, what we read, who we associate with, because that can have an impact on our consciousness, it can either slow oh, yes. us down or speed us up. God, Richard, that's so lovely. I love what you said. And I would just say to people, please don't listen to the teachers that tell you that all is well and all is going to be fine and that you don't have to do anything. You just have to say the odd mantra and cultivate your garden. They are lying to you. And there is a lot of money behind those lies. And however famous they are, and however resplendent their fame is in this completely unnew, new age, they will not help you. Mm. Who will help you are the great mystics of humanity and those teachers on the planet like the Dalai Lama, and I hope like myself, who are saying to you two very strong and very tender but firm things. They're saying on the one hand, this crisis is unprecedented and needs to be seen in its depth and danger because there's a great joy when you see it and know that something new is being born. Mm. The second thing they're saying is that what is being born is not a private vision of liberation, but a vision of serving humanity with what you know and what you have. Because the new humanity will not be hoarding, either financially or spiritually, it will be a humanity that is generous and creative with its generosity. So, if you've believe me and i don't i can't force you to believe me i just <laughs> ask you to look at your common sense and see which of the two possibilities is likely to help if you believe me then plunge into deep spiritual practice and find something in the world that you can dedicate your resources to a cause that you feel deeply about and when people come to me and say what should i do now that i'm seeing what's going on 
I always say, follow your heartbreak. Ask yourself one question. What of all the things out there that you feel about actually breaks your heart the most? Mm. And the way you discover that is you ask yourself the question and you usually come up with a lot of stuff. I'm heartbroken about how gay people are treated, etc. what the cause is. But you'll find that when you ask that question, they'll, you'll come across something that you can hardly bear to think about and you want to not think about it. That's the one. And I remember when I discovered my one, because I feel deeply, as you can imagine, about all kinds of causes. But one day I was in a, I was in Starbucks at 5.30 in the morning before writing, and I was reading the paper, and there was the usual catalogue of horrors. But there was one article about how some very desperate immigrant Mexicans had been caught in an abattoir brutalizing a cow before it was slaughtered. And I just burst into tears. I sobbed. It was so overwhelming to me on both sides, both for the Mexican immigrants who'd been reduced to that kind of brutality by the brutality with which we treat them and the horror of what's done to animals in our world. And at that moment, I became an animal activist. That's what my own personal sacred activism is devoted to. I support the white lions in in South Africa. I'm an advocate for animal rights. I'm part of the Radical Regeneration is a whole book section called Saving Animals from Ourselves. I have a cat who is my beloved. What I'm saying to you is it's not just about following your bliss. What this age is saying to you is follow your heartbreak and you'll find your bliss. Mm -hmm. And what that means is when you finally turn up and do something about what actually makes you want to leave the world and go on one of Elon Musk's trips to Mars, <laughs> when you actually do something, you discover a passion and energy in yourself, mm -hmm. which in the end will make you blissful. Because when you discover what you alone can turn up to do from the depths of your temperament and do it with everything you are, with other people of like-minded and like heart, you will be, even in the worst circumstances, fed by secret sources of this. And this is not poetry. This is something I live because I know exactly where we are in the history of the planet. I'm not under any illusions. But at 70, I'm at the happiest I've ever been because through the grace of God, I found out this secret and I want to share it with everybody who prepared to embrace it. Absolutely. And 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 I, I share your sentiments Does that too. Does make sense to you? Does what I said make sense to you? Oh, absolutely. It makes, because I have been experiencing for the last few years specifically, uh, some rather tumultuous times uh, in, in, uh, yeah. in my own personal life. And yet... One, and one of the best pieces of advice that I was given by pretty much everybody who is in my um, therapy circle, I'll call it. This program is also therapy for me, too, just so you know. Oh, um, therapy for me. It's, we're all doing sacred therapy yeah. at this point. Well, they told me, they said, uh, yeah, here's a lot of stuff that you can do, but there's one thing that you must do. You must take care of you, Richard. You must make sure that you continue to do the things that that support you, not to the exclusion of the 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 the, the uh, oh, personal no. personal stuff that's going on, but in addition to you you don't forget about you, don't ignore you. You're because if you don't take care of you, how are you going to help others? And exactly. uh, so that's it's, something that it's I a have question heard. of which you isn't it? What's I that think now? There's a whole New age narcissism about taking care of you, which means fundamentally not relating to the world. Right. But what I'm as a sacred activist is saying, take care of you in the deepest and most wise way so that you can continue to serve. Yeah. Others. Well, I, I wrote a song. Emphasis, yeah. Well, it? I wrote a song having to do with what I had been going through. I had a facilitator who has a program where uh, she takes you through these 12 steps of writing your song, your song. Right. I Wonderful. also got involved in a, uh, 
in a, a performance group that's here in Santa Barbara that put on for the holidays this past uh, December uh, the Scottish Solstice Celebration. And I was a part of this two-act play. I had never done anything like this before. And if I had known how much work it was ahead of time, I probably wouldn't have done it. But boy, am I glad I did. And that served me, but I was also there participating with all these others. It was not by any means uh, a totally selfish type of situation. So I find that that is is something. Yes, Richard, when you truly serve, you are filled with purpose, meaning, and joy. Looking after yourself isn't simply eating well, going for walks, Mm -hmm. keeping your body, all the things which make sense. It isn't only doing spiritual practice so that you can stay in alignment. Looking after yourself is actually also looking after other selves because you'll find that if you do, you'll make amazing friends, you'll feel that your life is meaningful and valuable, and you'll find new reservoirs of energy to fill your whole being. Yeah. This is the unanimous message of all the great teachers. Yes. They know this. And th- to get this through now, through the narcissism, through the fear, is the task of all authentic teachers and all authentic seekers. Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, learned very early on in my career that um, <clears throat> there will always be someone better than me and some someone not as good. And that's kind of the, usually the analogy of a ladder. There's someone above me that's reaching their hand down to help me. I reach my hand down to help yes. someone below me. And uh, I've taken on the philosophy that it is not my goal to be successful. My goal is to make you successful because if you're successful, guess what? Then I'm successful. But my focus is on helping you. And so when I was working with these different uh, local ministers and pastors and so forth and helping them to produce whatever it was, I didn't judge the content. That was none of my business. I was there to help them get their message out as cleanly and as uh, free of as many obstacles as possible so that whoever was listening or watching could make up their own mind. Perfect. It wasn't up to me. Now, did I have my particular perspectives? Sure, I did. But uh, I worked for 15 years for that Christian radio station. We are now in the 15th year of this program. Tell me your story. Congratulations. Thank you. And I am so glad that you were a part of it. And, and I, I would like to make you a regular part, you know, every few every month or so. Love to have you come Love on to, to continue to in a manner of speaking, hammer home the message that we all need to find that sacred activist within us and bring it out and do yes. the things that, that we can do. Um, do you think sometimes, though, that people who get into this, uh, get into uh, activism, sacred or otherwise, they, they want to, it's like, I want to change the world. But I can only do it in bite-sized pieces, whereas some people, they want to take on and change the world, and they want take something really big that really they, they don't have the capacity to handle. Oh, I love what you're saying, because the way I say it is, I don't know if you ever saw Errol Flynn's films. Errol Flynn, I love Errol Flynn. He's a terrible actor, very beautiful man, <laughs> a very terrible actor. And he, there's one film in which he rescues Burma. He saves Burma single-handed. And as a child, I thought, oh, my God, I want to be Errol Flynn when I grow up and save Burma single-handed. Well, that is a complete fantasy and delusion. And if you try and take on everything, and then you'll very easily get discouraged and disillusioned. Mm. My advice to everybody when they hear a message about sacred activism is to start simply, start groundedly start doing something you know you can do and that you want to do and then you'll discover the joy that you get from doing that and then you'll become in the best sense addicted to doing that but not out of blame and shame and guilt out of joy yes joy in discovering what your own beautiful gifts and your own personality can actually affect. 
So that's how I speak to people because it makes the most sense. And I've had to learn to my own peril, you know, the dangers of grandiosity. It's very dangerous to be grandiose. The role is God's. You don't have to play God. The role's already taken. Play you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm good at what I do, but what I do is serve. And I want to be the best at that as I possibly can be. And it gives you joy to do it, doesn't it? Obviously, you love it. You you exude enthusiasm. You love the people you're with. You enable them to give the best of themselves. So you're giving to yourself by giving like that, aren't you? I, I would say yes, and that's the beautiful universal equation that I talk about quite often, and that is that <clears throat> there is always an exchange. There cannot be a giver without a oh, receiver yes. and vice versa, you know? Well, we're interdependent. Everything we do is having immediate impact on everything. It's just that we're not conscious of it. So why don't we do things in conscious joy? Then we'll get conscious joy back. It's as simple as that. Absolutely. Andrew Harvey is my guest. AndrewHarvey.net is the the website and the book. I, I certainly hope that you will... Take the time to go out and get a copy of this. You can even go to his website, go through that uh, process. Radical Regeneration, Sacred Activism and the Renewal of the World. And we certainly hope that you... That's a title. It is is a heck of a title. It's a mouthful. But um, we are uh, looking to uh, transform uh, ourselves as well as the world as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and uh, I am here with Andrew Harvey. And Andrew, uh, because we are fast approaching the end of our time together, I definitely uh, extend the invitation to have you back again. Thank you. I'd love that. And I have three final questions that I ask all of my guests. Uh, It's along the same lines as uh, a Carol Burnett who would tug on her ear or the uh, late, great... uh, (laughs) The late, great um, <clears throat> Jimmy Durante, who would say, and good night, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are. So these three that. questions I have for you. But first, I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We're here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., And our special edition of Tell Me Your Story, Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Our podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And we're on YouTube, where you can watch these interviews. I would ask you to subscribe, but check back every so often if you don't want to subscribe. You don't have to, uh, to see what's been uploaded and available for you. We hope you'll do that. If you'd like to support the work that we are doing financially, we have a PayPal account. It is there for your security as well as ours. And one area, I always get to this point in the program where I'm going, one area that we didn't talk about and we should have, and that's one of the reasons we're going to have Andrew back is I ask you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision. What is it? It's an opportunity for you to go into that quiet, still, calm, peaceful place and listen to that still, small voice that will give you inspiration, encouragement, insight, direction. And the more you do it, the more it becomes a part of who you are and you'll find that sacred activist within you. So I encourage you to do that. So, with all of that being said, we now move back to our guest and those three questions here in this 15th year. And I, I make—I don't know why I'm making such a point of it, but I am. And in that, we have these three questions. Two of them have it. been apart for the entire 15 years. And the first is, who is Andrew Harvey? Andrew Harvey is a servant of God. What is your life's purpose? Liberate myself and through so liberate others. And I always preface this third question. I hope that you get the movie reference. What was your best day? The day I met my great teacher, Father Bede Griffiths, who changed everything by his holiness and his sweetness and his love. 
Well, Andrew Harvey, I want to thank you for sharing all of that with us here on this program, as well as through this uh, this latest work that you are making available to us to purchase. Uh, it is, again, Radical Regeneration, Sacred Activism, and the Renewal of the World, available through many of the locations you uh, can find it. Also through andrewharvey.net, that's A-N-D-R-E-W-H-A-R-V-E-Y.net. And with all of that being said, again, I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am still listening.